my entrepreneur's journey is really like a one brick at a time story. I think there's a lot of people today, particularly almost cliche like in the valley and so forth, like entrepreneur is a career choice that you make and then you find a product that you want to build because you want to be an entrepreneur, which is not how I think of good entrepreneurship. entrepreneurship is something you happen to find yourself doing when you have a really good idea and you have some notion of a business that you want and are determined to dig in and, and uh, make it successful. Welcome to Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, I interview Jake Goldman. He's the CEO and founder of TenUp, one of the largest web development agencies. He's worked on some of the biggest websites on the internet. And in this episode, we discuss his entrepreneurial background, how he got to be where he's at today, and some of the amazing and awesome projects he's working on. This is a great episode, so please stay tuned. This episode of Hacker Noon is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Join a community of over 3.5 million developers learning how to build and scale high-performance web apps on the simplest cloud platform. With a flat pay-as-you-go pricing structure and monthly caps across all global data centers, DigitalOcean makes it easy to get the computer resources you need without the billing surprises you get from other cloud providers. Discover why developers love DigitalOcean and get started with a free $50 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. Full stack developer Austin Pocus. We're using it to host a discourse site. So basically, they give us a machine and we run a Dockerized instance of discourse on there. Gets a few clicks and discourse is ready to rock. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Jake. Jake, tell us a bit about who you are and what you're working on. Hey, Trent. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Jake Goldman. I'm the president and founder of an agency called 10up. Um, it's 10up.com. It's a full-service agency, about 170 full-time, working completely remote, distributed from around the globe. We mostly work in content management experiences, providing everything from design to, in some cases, infrastructure management and consulting on hosting all the way through like ad stack optimization and A-B testing and everything that goes in between that. Uh, I am personally probably always working on the company, um, working on uh, a number of uh, particularly interesting projects. A lot of our clients don't let me come on podcasts and talk about our most interesting work, <laughs> but there are some really interesting public-facing projects. So, for example, um, we're working on a, we have a project called Distributor that's an open source project. It solves, in, if you're using WordPress as your CMS, it solves for like being able to share your content out across multiple sites, whether that's like across the web using a REST API or just like inside of a multi-site setup. So it just some real, solves some really interesting problems around like I want to copy on my site and these two other sites. Or if you're like a news network or a local news network, you can kind of send it out to all of your sites. It takes care of mm -hmm. SEO with duplicate copies of content. There's another really interesting uh, project we're working on in our open source practice uh, called Classify. That's spelled with AI instead of Y at the end. It's on our uh, it's on our GitHub repo, and we're going to be uh, maybe by the show that come, the time the show comes out, we're going to be putting together a little microsite. And that's a tool that for WordPress, which is our preferred content management platform, integrates machine learning and AI technologies into WordPress and the content experience. So it does things like integrate with IBM Watson or Azure services to do things like automatic tagging and classification of content, does things like you know automated alt text creation for images based on looking at images. 
and the content in them. And we have a long roadmap and vision of how to use We're going to need to talk about that one after this podcast, because uh, we could probably use something like that here at Hacker Noon. Yeah. Uh, that sounds pretty cool. I, and I, you know, the AI thing is definitely like this. So many possibilities are about to open up. So you're essentially connecting that to WordPress. Yeah. So we're trying to like, we have, there's big, exciting, heady concept stuff that's out there. Like I, I feel like everyone could probably talk more about that. Like everyone saw the, I should say everybody, I think a lot of people that follow Hacker and sort of like tech news saw like a couple of months ago, there was the article about the Elon Musk project or something that was like basically writing stories from one sentence prompts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not quite touching that issue <laughs> yet, but it's a very basic, like there's all these services from like Amazon in the Azure cloud in Watson that open up all these APIs to basically look at images, look at text-based content, look at video and be able to do really neat things with everything from like natural language synthesis for creating like spoken versions of content to automated, like common keyword tagging to looking at images and automatically generating text and descriptions of what's inside them that are very practical, real today applications that we feel like creating a good solution that kind of brings them all together. And we hope, we hope this solution becomes sort of like the de facto freely available solution for WordPress in particular for bringing all those technologies together. That's um, awesome. So. I mean, I have so many questions cause I'm like thinking of all the implications right now of what you could do with a tool like that when it comes to publishing. Um, cause that enables you to, you know, take one or two people and, now you can have the publishing power of an entire team. Um, that's that's going to be interesting. Like, how is Google going to rank all of this stuff when it's being written by AI? Um, we're, not, yeah. we're not we're not quite at the stage of being AI to write the story for you, at least for what we're doing. Although there are, I think, there are really interesting future applications in there. But yeah, like right now, I think there's some real. It's not so much like cut your team down from ten to two, as it's like that annoying thing you have somebody has to do going in and checking all your images for all text. The like everybody who's posted, I feel like has been through the, I always forget to tag it and write yeah. about it. There's also some really, when you talk like SEO and like search engines, there's some really neat stuff around like, so like there's the benefit of like, sure, it puts it in categories for you and it tags it for you and exposes mm-hmm. that to visitors. But it's also really interesting just to see what like a machine learning algorithm like Watson thinks your content is about from its perspective, but it tells you are the tags and major themes of your content. Cause it's probably a closer lens to what like an algorithm like, say Google's algorithm thinks your content is about than your own sort of like editorial eye on what is this about? Well, I mean, the thing that's weird to me is, so Google is AI, like they've completely abandoned their entire page ranking system and how they used to do SEO. Like they don't do that anymore. It's basically this like giant neural network. And it's like a constellation of keywords and like all this metadata and like all this stuff that they're analyzing now in real time as this like artificial intelligence system to do this. So if the content producers start doing AI and their content is being augmented by AI to kind of reward and interact with that system of Google's AI, then it's literally just two different AIs talking to each other. Right. We're just, we're just noise. The human beings are just, no. Yeah, and we're just kind of in the middle going like, oh, wait, like we made a bridge between these two. Great. I guess we, we pay for it by seeing some ad or something we want to buy or something like that. But, yeah, and they're tracking us and <laughs> you know, all that fun stuff. 
This episode of Hacker Noon is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Join a community of over 3.5 million developers learning how to build and scale high-performance web apps on the simplest cloud platform. With a flat pay-as-you-go pricing structure and monthly caps across all global data centers, DigitalOcean makes it easy to get the computer resources you need without the billing surprises you get from other cloud providers. Discover why developers love DigitalOcean and get started with a free $50 credit at do.co slash hackernoon. Full stack developer Austin Pocus. We're using it to host a discourse site. So basically, they give us a machine and we run a Dockerized instance of discourse on there. Gets a few clicks and discourse is ready to rock. Anyhow, I wanted to, uh, I, I didn't know you were working on such a cool project. So we went off on a little tangent there, but you know what? I think that's awesome. So that's the beauty of this show and why I do this format so that can happen naturally. Uh, but I wanted to ask you a little bit about like your entrepreneurial journey because you've built this successful company. I've known you for years. Like I've watched you, you know, figure this thing out. Um, so what has that process been like as an entrepreneur and what lessons have you learned? Yeah, we could probably do a, at some point I'll, you know, in the dream where I retire or something, I could write a whole book about lessons learned and, and, <laughs> and bruises. Um, I think I mean, the first thing that sounds a little bit glib and they'll get more specific and more concrete and more useful is I feel like the real story of like my entrepreneur's journey is really like a one brick at a time story. It's, you know, I think a lot, there's a whole probably rant I could go on about. Like, I think there's a lot of people today, particularly like, particularly, you know, almost uh, cliche, like in the Valley and so forth, like entrepreneur is a career choice that you make. And then you find a product that you want to build because you want to be an entrepreneur, which is not how I think of good entrepreneur, uh, you know, Entrepreneurship, to me, entrepreneurship is something you happen to find yourself doing when you have a really good idea and you, you have some notion of a business that you want and are determined to dig in and, and uh, make it successful. So like my journey was not, I graduated from college and I decided that like the right thing to do was to call myself an entrepreneur and build a business. My journey was uh, I, I liked uh, the business side of like companies like the op side and the like, what does it mean to build a team and to have a hiring uh, plan and to like the business side, I, I really always gravitated toward like the marketing and the sales and the pitch. Uh, always, I guess you could say like liked when I believed in the product and the service, always really liked talking to people about like how we could help them solve their problems. And I happen to be very fortunate in that like, nowhere at the level of like writing AI and machine learning algorithms, but in a very basic, like able to make some nice looking websites and some nice simple applications. I myself always actually enjoyed writing code, building things. Um, so sort of like, I, I feel like very fortunate in the sense that like my interests were very serendipitously timed with like a time, a place in the market, like the right, right century, the right decade mm -hmm. for those skills to come together to be able to, to build a business. Um, I guess to get more concrete. So like, always, uh, so I've always, again, more less through intention of I'm going to be an entrepreneur and just more like just went and did it. I would say since like I was in high school in the nineties was always doing like little side projects and hustles and always through the lens of technology. There was like a period in the nineties where that interest was more in like at the very beginning of like digital video editing. Like I would make little promo videos and like little commercials and little, uh, uh even short documentaries sometimes, very quickly got into web. Thank God those GeoCity sites are gone. <laughs> Wiped off the planet <laughs> yeah. uh, at this point. Um, you know, would what started with like, oh, hey, I'm in a club after school. I can whip some horrible MIDI background music scrolling marquee website together for my club. That quickly turned into like, your friend is doing some like summer paid internship with a company, helping them get all their content on their new 
shiny.com website. So quickly, quickly, even while I was in high school, turned into like side gigs and contract projects and opportunities to work in web and tech. Continued to do that throughout college where I studied management information systems, which is again, this theme of like the intersection of business and technology as an interest in mine. Continue to do contracting on the side, had a notion of like, I feel like I have the right ingredients and probably the right, uh, what's the word here, the right uh, hubris and, and attitude <laughs> that yeah. I'd probably end up being a good business owner or uh, eventually end up being a terrible employee to other people and <laughs> business owners um, for some number of years. So like, but also, uh, you know, Ernesty really had a sense of like, I've got an awful lot to learn that I didn't learn in, my, in, in university about. Yeah what it means to run a technology business and what it means to do marketing. I have these ideas for these little $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 side hustles. But let me, let me spend some time before I jump in trying to start a business. So went to work for contractors, spent some time at what was mostly like a Navy contractor for a while, doing like manuals for like their submarines and, and vehicles with like flash interactivity and, and those technologies. Very quickly within a few years of being out, moved into management positions where I was like managing what Last things at the time, like multimedia divisions uh, of companies. Mu um, took on a, uh, was pretty successful at doing that. Moved into a role where I was the, basically the first full-time hire after doing some contracting with a, a company in the Southern New England that was mostly working with like a, you know, again, well, all web technologies, but mostly like a, a cold fusion, nonprofit, proprietary CMS. <laughs> Joined that company as the first hire, very quickly set out with that owner to say, like, maybe we need to go into like open source, maybe we need to get out of this proprietary CMS. We sort of divided and conquered. I sort of took, like, got very interested in WordPress as a CMS and content publishing platform. Um, because I have a real interest in the user experience side and like the, the accessibility to publishers. He went the direction of like studying Drupal and a different open source platform, did that for about three years. Uh, came to a point at both great a time of great change in my life, um, both like in my personal life and literally all dimensions of my life, mm -hmm. and in which I felt like it was becoming clear to that owner and I, this company now, after meeting the first hire, was like 15 or 16 people. It became very clear to me that I don't think the owner and I were seeing eye to eye anymore. That quickly came to a head uh, on top of everything going on in my personal life. It was very clear to me when that ended that like, I have now built a long list of contacts I've cultivated for over 10 years now, experience working in watching other great people and mentors do marketing, write proposals, form teams, all these little pearls of wisdom that I've gained through actually working in the industry and learning from others and having some humility about how much I have to learn. And really felt like all that knowledge, in addition to having a very strong network and set of connections and you know, you, you get those very humbling calls where it's like, you know, the moment you start your own thing, you know, you, I, I should be your first call. Like, I, I don't care where you are. You're, you know, I want to work with you. Um, and so uh, very clear to me after that ended, which was like uh, very beginning of 2011, this is the time to start my own company. Mm -hmm. This is the time I have all the tools to do that. Uh, I don't know that many, many uh, hiring managers or entrepreneurs would want me to be their employee anymore. <laughs> uh, so, uh, sorry. I think I'm pretty much unemployable at this point myself. So, uh, you know, I, I think you and I possibly have that in common. But, uh, you know, uh, I mean, this is, this is an incredible journey here because basically you've had to get all of these different experiences. You've had to collect, you know, just all this knowledge and all of these things. But, and you literally got to a point where, 
that was it. Like you couldn't go any further without essentially becoming your own boss. Yeah. Or at least, yeah. Could, you know, didn't want to see myself doing that anymore. Felt like I was overdue. I, I probably do the, some of these things a few years late. Like I, in hindsight, like I sort of asked myself, why didn't I do this a year earlier or two mm. years earlier, uh, as a process. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's, that's spot on. And, you know, there is probably like a whole side rant there about like, maybe there's like a metaphor for like hacking or something, <laughs> but like there is the something, hack. <laughs> yeah, right? there is something to be said. I think that gets underplayed sometimes of like, I, I'm maybe cynically very skeptical again of like the coming right out of school. Like I'm ready to start my own business. Like mm-hmm. I'm a big advocate. Maybe I'm more conservative in this regard. I don't know. I'm a big advocate for like, go join a company for a while, spend five, seven, eight years, at least three years in the industry, go find a company you admire yeah. or that you like, watch and see how they do it. Take some time to learn. I agree with you on this one because I've seen a lot of lot of people that take that executive role and like they're just not ready. And, and it's like becoming an executive is kind of something that happens to you, not so much that you can just like wake up one morning and be like, oh, I'm going to be an executive today. Like, and it comes through like going through the shit. I don't know how else to put it. Um, and then you reach a point where it's like, oh, like that's, that's how you have to do this now. Uh, but it's, it's a learned experience. It's not something you can get in school. It's not something that's in a book. Like you could read as many books as you want on business. And like, if you've never learned those experiences yourself or experienced them, it's totally something different. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I guess I was at least in some ways fortunate to have gone through that process and it really set me up to be able to start my own business and like, all the little pearls of wisdom that I still think about that people said, like I always tell the story of like, mm-hmm. uh, I had a, uh, when I was back, actually back when I was at a management position helping with some early uh, big formal like proposal and media efforts back at that like Navy contractor that I worked with. There was a guy named Steve there who was like their, forget the formal title, but essentially like their CMO or VP of marketing, something like that, or media biz dev. And it was just one of these like characters that would always like come in and have some like truism that sticks with you. I remember one of them that really stuck with me throughout like the rest of my career was, so the company was like a hundred people. I think it was like $15 million in revenue or something like that. And he used to come into my office and say things like, you know, um, you know, I wish that the management of this company, I'm trying to get them to interview these candidates. And he would say like, if you're not constantly talking to people, looking to hire your next looking to hire your next person and you're uh, in the business of selling people's time in a services business, he would say like, you're just circling the drain. Mm-hmm. Which is like a little melodramatic, right? Like you, know, you can you can flatten for a little bit, right? But like, <laughs> he had, but he, he would make, in, in his melodramatic way, he would sort of like make these very true points of like, if you're not always like, if you're not planning and you're in the people business and the services business, you're not planning for who are the next people I'm going to bring into the team, who's the next round of, of talent and, you know, yeah what are you doing? What's your plan? Is this just a lifestyle business uh, that you're trying to sustain? So those, those kind of like truisms that sort of stuck with me and very much informed, like when I started 10 up, like very much informed this like ethos that even became like sort of a, a like a running gag in the community of like 10 up is always hiring. <laughs> Had it's like origins, these experiences where like it was drilled into me, like you are always interviewing, you are always preparing for who the next people are going to be on your team. You are always like, it is your product, right? Like yeah. you should always be you know, if you want to sell more, you should always be thinking about this. Well, that's the real value of a lot of these companies that I think a lot of people forget is you, 
you're selling people's time. It's, it's a team effort. Uh, and you know, you should always be recruiting. Um, it's, it's always baffling to me when companies kind of like stop. Um, and I, I just don't get it. It's like, okay, they, they reach a certain limit and they're like, okay, we're not, we're not going to grow anymore. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, as you use the term lifestyle business, like there's definitely those, you know, there's definitely those companies and those situations where, you know, the amount of stress going into it and you kind of make that trade off. Um, but at the other end of the spectrum, you know, if you're in a position to scale, scale, um, because it's so rare that you get in that position. Like it's so like, it's one of those things that happens like once or twice in your lifetime where you actually find something that you can truly scale. And for me, it's just like, if you ignore that, that's a missed opportunity. I agree. I think a lot of, you know, I think a lot of companies for one thing, especially like younger companies, like in the, you know, two, three employees, maybe even just the original like partner, you know, founding partners also confuse hiring for recruiting which sounds like uh, it sounds like splitting hairs, but it's really not. Recruiting is the process of seeking out who yeah. your next talent might be and who the next people might be to join your team. You don't have to hire them. You don't have to hire them after your first interview with them. Yeah. But you always have a, to me, it's like always having the plan for what you're going to do next. So like when you get that big, exciting opportunity or when like one of your clients says, if you want to keep working with me, I need to double the amount of work that I do with you. You're not going to, I mean, short of like just Hail Mary or, uh, you know, or a kind of solution, you're not going to succeed if that's the moment you start recruiting mm-hmm. next talent. Like if you haven't started looking for who those next people are three, four or five months before then, you're going to be totally unprepared for that moment. Yep. Well, anyhow, I'd love to bring it back to the tech because we're at a really interesting time, you know, in terms of what we were talking about a little bit earlier, artificial intelligence is here and it's coming, you know, you're at the forefront of, you know, this content management industry, you know, you work, you've worked on some of the largest websites on the internet. Um, you know, like that, that says a lot. Um, what, what's next, you know, you're always looking forward, right? So what are you seeing on the horizon right now? In content, you mean like in content management and online storytelling and... You know, I'm going to leave it general. Like what, what's your... In technology in general, what are you seeing? Good questions. So um, I think one... So there's so many different directions to take that. Like in probably different levels of like... It's like a sliding spectrum of like boring, but more practical in short term and more exciting in longer term. It probably vague <laughs> and hand wavy at this point. I think like the trends include things like what it means to have your content live in multiple channels and multiple places. So mm-hmm. a very real thing that's changing rapidly, Apple News Plus in the last week is yet another example of this uh, trend accelerating is like we're rapidly, you see this with apps as well, where you see like even like with like, you know, TV and content apps, again, maybe even going back to the, uh, at this moment, the timely Apple thing, moving away from like, I want to install a whole bunch of apps on my phone and more of like a consolidation of I want one different channels to distribute the same content. Yeah. The one thing we're seeing is for games too. They're doing a gaming service the same way. So we're, we're moving towards subscription services and services rather than, you know, individual a la carte applications. So, so yes, subscription services, but even if, even if the ones that are not subscription Mm -hmm. point is more that um, less like the gaming, more like the news and and the TV version, like in like the, I guess like, like Apple TV channels where it's like you have HBO and Showtime, it's more that like the experience of how you get content 
if it like 10, 15 years ago, it was like very obviously, if you're getting into the digital realm, very obviously like here's your website, right? Maybe there's like a WAP version 15 years ago or something like that, right? But like, it's basically like, here's the website. This is the center of the universe. Maybe you can subscribe to it with RSS or something. But fundamentally, this website is the center of the universe. It's where you go to read this content, to experience this content, to have the engagement. And we're moving rapidly. We are increasingly rapidly moving away from that, more from like you own a hub of like information about your content and your, and your content as a content owner. Mm-hmm. But they, your readers might, their, their lens on that might be the Apple News app. It might be Google's news reader and amp. It might be it being read to you on uh, on a, a you know a, a Echo device or an Alexa device. It might be reading a stripped down version on your watch that's just like text and images in a reader mode, right on a device. Um, in the case of like video, it might be that you get HBO by downloading an app and subscribing. It might be that you subscribe through Hulu and see it inside mm-hmm. the Hulu app. It might be that you see it inside an Apple TV channels menu. It might be that you see it through subscribing through Amazon Prime and getting it through that interface. So one of the, I think, the maybe not so terribly interesting, but I think actually fairly profound changes we're going through now is less of a, I'm going to completely control and craft this beautiful page of content on my site in many cases, and particularly for publishers and like mass media, moving toward an era of there's a fairly boring set of images, content, gallery, and that is going to be shot out into multiple different channels where people may experience it, read it in all kinds of different formats. So uh, is this a good thing, a bad thing? Is this just an evolution? What is this? Uh, I don't even know that I've made a good or bad judgment on <laughs> it as opposed to like it is what it is kind of an argument. Um, you know, I think it's a bit, it's a bit inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. I think like, uh, you know, ultimately people want curated content sent to them through a single channel you think about like most of our habits like you whether that whether that for you is like your friends on twitter or facebook whether that's through something like an apple news kind of an app most people probably do not want to experience their content today by going to the hacker news website and landing page and scrolling through the archive and going to yeah I don't know, the 538 and reading through the news and our, you know, they're not going to open five sites one after the other and scan for the content that those editorial teams think they're interested in. Like going You're back describing to- every morning for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad you still do because our customers thank you as well. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I think the truth is it's increasingly moving toward, I'm going to open up, I'm going to open up my, whatever lens I want to take into all the different content I want to consume. And it should intelligently by understanding my habits, by understanding mm-hmm. my interests, by understanding my reading patterns, filter all of the different channels of content for me and, 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 and present to me from five or 10 or 20 different sites and sources content that I'm interested in. Okay. I think it's risky for, I think it's a enormous opportunity as the web has been for smaller publishers because it gives you a chance to sort of can flatten the playing field in terms mm-hmm. of content being judged on the merits of its content, not its brand as much appeal on the flip side, it is a very, it does continue a very painful trend for, I think, the very large entrenched players where you may care less that like, you know, you're not looking, you're Wired or Condé Nast is no longer your, you know, your, your editorial decision maker. They're just one source of content. Well, and you've got sites like Medium who've recently basically just put everything behind a paywall. Like they made that their default. So now you have to opt out of being behind the paywall and I'm just like, okay, that, that changes the entire like model here. And 
I went to medium after I sold my WordPress startup from like three or you know, three years ago. Um, and like, I don't know, now I'm less incentivized to write for it because now that I've got more followers than I've ever had, I'm like, okay, but I can't really reach them. And I, I don't care about getting paid $4 and 50 cents for an article. Um, it's just not that important to me. Like I want it to reach an audience. Um, so there's, there's definitely going to be some growing pains with, uh, what you're seeing here. Yeah. I think medium is in many ways. And like, I, I, maybe it's fashionable now to trash medium or something like that, (laughs) but I promise I've been saying this since the beginning of medium medium to me is more scary from the standpoint of like, they are, there's a difference between the channel where you receive your content and being the source of truth Mm -hmm. of your content. I actually think the push toward multi-channel toward you want to be in Apple news and you want to be in the Google amps index and you want to be, you know, wherever the heck you get your content uh, from is increasingly a reason to move toward, I don't know if like I'm just like do my preacher mode or something, right? Like, but increasingly the opportunity to move toward open source platforms and things like WordPress or whatever you prefer, like whatever mm-hmm. your flavor is because you know that you own and control and you don't, wherever the fashionable flavor of the day is in terms of where you send your content, how people are going to consume that content, what the presentation layer of that content is going to look like, you know that you own the source of truth of that content. And like, to me, giving away to something in the cloud that you don't control all your writing and your content, that to me is a very... Uh, We're going through it over here at uh, Hacker Noon. So yeah, it's uh, it's quite the challenge. Rub some salt um, I'll rub some extra salt in that wound for you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely been an interesting experience and continues to be. So, yeah. uh, you know, hopefully everything will go smoothly and, uh, try to stay positive, but. And I should say, like, I don't mean to like for all the <laughs> no, trashing I, of medium and for all the danger that I think as like a content creator, like giving that away in the cloud is like, they do deserve a lot of plot. It's like, they did push us forward in the user experience in many ways. Yep. Content. Like they did through that, like controlled, closed model. They did really challenge everyone, including WordPress and Squarespace and like everyone in the industry. They did really force people to really up their game as competition on like the user experience of both consuming content, engaging in comments. Absolutely. And that no, absolutely. They they definitely changed that paradigm. But then it's just they created something that was with one intention and it switched to something else now. Um and we'll we'll see what happens as a result of that. But I think it's synonymous with what's happening with the rest of the publishing industry because to some degree like you know they they've chosen their path uh and they said okay we're gonna go this way with it um the rest of the industry seems to be going in a different direction so um yeah it's definitely interesting but uh you know since you have been in the wordpress space for so long i've got to ask like what's your take on where wordpress is at and where is it going uh, uh, always the persistent philosophical question we're asking ourselves too. Yeah. Uh, so I think like the most service level an- answer is like the priority in WordPress right now, maybe good transition from the medium conversation. The priority in WordPress right now is really what it means to with, within all the challenges and constraints that an open source platform provides, which is to say like, we don't know in terms of the broad market it serves, whether you're going to install this on $10,000 worth of hardware and the most modern infrastructure, you're going to install this on a $5 a month shared hosting account. Yeah. So within the constraints of open source, WordPress is trying to solve for a few things. One is, and this is those that are at all follow WordPress or even Drupal, which has adopted some of its technologies, 
one's biggest challenge is what does it mean to make that editor experience, that content creation, that writing experience modern, compelling, that starts with a very like, they just went through this process culminating in a, in a 5.0 release in December or November. They just went through this process of like a brand new editor experience, which, you know, people hate change. I think it is, it's, you know, it's a 1.0 of a new experience, but I think it is a mm-hmm. huge step forward from like the consumer and the user standpoint. I think when you like put aside all your preconceived muscle memory and, and notions purely from an editorial standpoint, I authentically think it is a better uh, experience uh, from, from most publishers and most content creators. But that's really only the beginning of that journey is just a, a newer, fresher interface. They're very, we're very clear as a community, like the next steps over the next couple of years are things like we should have a, you know, use like things like WebRTC to create like a Google Docs, like shared collaborative editing right inside the CMS. So that's on the, like, that's on the roadmap. Mm-hmm. So, like multiple editors in editing different blocks, editing text at the same time, collaborative editing right inside the CMS. Multiling, you know, as a foundation for like multilingual, as a foundation for more than just your content, but your overall site layout, uh, being able to make changes. So the biggest thing happening in WordPress right now is going through this transformation of what it means to have a very modern editing layout collaboration and content creation experience. At the same time, maybe being forced by that, the other like more like behind the scenes changes that are maybe more relevant to like hackers and developers is that occasion is, is I think very helpfully causing WordPress to really uh, do things like in terms of changing its technology stack. What I mean by that is like, it might sound incremental, but like we've been on PHP 5.2, just moved up to PHP 5.3 as a requirement for years. Yeah. The roadmap is 5.6, I think, by the end of the year. And within the next year, it's PHP 7 will be the minimum requirement. It's everything is very quickly moving in uh, away from starting with the editor, moving away from the like PHP individual page load convention to JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Not in way the like the person that leads the pro- the project's you know, leader has been very clear. Like the future in saying the future of from a developer perspective, the future of WordPress is JavaScript and React and those technologies. So increasingly, like if you're a developer, if you're a hacker, like building a modern WordPress site, building the next generation of projects with WordPress as a platform, you probably need to know at this point as much, if not more about like React and JS frameworks than you do have, than you have to know like PHP. Yeah, which is a major shift because since the initial inception of WordPress, it's, it's primarily been a PHP stack and app um, and now it's going through an evolution. So anyhow, this is the Hacker Noon podcast. So I've got to ask Jake, what is some time in your life that you've had to hack something? Yes. Yeah, so I was, I'm trying to think of the best stories there and like trying to mirror that against like least embarrassing story, <laughs> um, or like successful hacking, which is maybe a different question. So I'm going to go with this one. Um, this, uh, this will be a, 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 like a nerd confessional moment or something. So, um, uh, so I was in high school when like third person shooters, like doom and Duke Nukem were coming of age. So I'm, I, at one point, I have no idea how I had time for this and managed to get like decent grades. I, at one point, I think it was for the better part of the year, made an entire mod, like a whole a massively overriding, like default assets and everything, an entire mod that I think was like star Wars or something for Duke Nukem. <laughs> It's like an entire like pack. It's probably still floating out there somewhere on the internet in some archive somewhere. But an entire like takeover, like early days of complete modding, making your own maps, hacking into and removing and replacing assets like in the core, yeah, uh, where they're called WAD files or something like the core, like the core image assets to make things look different. And 
So did you just do that in like Photoshop, like creating all the different assets or something or? I don't know if I could have afforded Photoshop at the time. <laughs> I don't know if it was that, that good, but yeah, it was like image editing programs and like manually changing pixels and overriding assets and uh, a lot of like text file, like I and I change scripts. And um, there's a whole, like there was a whole, they used to bundle tools. I think it was called build. They used to bundle tools to do like make your, you know, make your own maps and, but this was like full fledged everything from like you would override like the INI configurations of the application to you'd swap out, pull out, and swap in alternative. Yeah, like I remember like those that. older games. It, I mean, you could literally just go open the files in your, uh, you know, on your computer and just start modifying them. Uh, it's definitely not what it's like now, where there's like proprietary game engines and like all this complicated code. Uh, and then, of course, most games probably are played, you know, on a on a console these days anyways. So, um, I feel, I feel like in many ways, very fortuitous in terms of my career path that like my probably like prime time to hack and just screw around and try to break things days in my life were at a time where it was not what it is now that it was like, yeah, you know, 256 by 256 pixel <laughs> image assets of like, you know, sprites. Yeah. Where you could sort of pull something off and you could, like you said, you could just like literally open and like, editor scripts yeah. and like yeah pretty awesome. much all the assets <laughs> well it's been a pleasure having you on the show uh do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up uh no big final thoughts just uh, glad to be having the conversation with you yeah well thank you for coming on where can people find you uh, they can, uh, the best place to find out uh, about what I'm doing is usually through the lens of my business at this point. That's 10 ups website. That's one zero up.com. I'm also just Jake M gold. Just what it sounds like, uh, on Twitter. Um, those are probably your best bets. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.